Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound Radio Show, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful, occasionally wearying world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey. I'm your host for the evening. Uh, there's a not, there's a fair amount to get through tonight. I almost used entirely too many words to say that. Uh, first up, we will be reviewing yesterday's boy, the timing on this event. Uh, Fight Night 122, the UFC's debut on mainland China. They were in Shanghai, and there were fights. Uh, Not as bad as last week's. Boy, uh, last week's was a slog, but... Uh, So we'll go over the relevant fights from that card. There weren't too many, but there were some good fights. Uh, the UFC is also going to be doing the old uh, one-two combination uh, this week. On Friday, if memory serves, we have the finale of the Ultimate Fighters 20-whatever-sixth, jeez, 26th season. Uh, they will be crowning their first-ever women's flyweight champion. We don't know the other half. We know one of the two... Uh, participants in the main event. Uh, Nico Montano upset Barb Honchak to advance to the finals come Tuesday. Tuesday? Wednesday? I don't know. Whenever it airs. That's how little I care. Uh, We will have the other half of that equation when Roxanne Modafari fights Sajara Eubanks, and the winner will fight Montano for the inaugural title. I won't be shocked if Modafari wins that. But uh, they haven't even announced the full card for this thing yet. The announced fights are five fights. They've announced the title fight, which we only have half of announced. I mean, this all happened a while ago, so. Uh, we have a middleweight bout between Andrew Sanchez and Ryan James. Who's lo- I-, I can't imagine anyone's looking forward to that. A bantamweight bout between Joe Soto and Brett Johns, another bantamweight bout between Terry and Ware and Sean O'Malley, and a middleweight bout between Eric Spicely and Gerald Merchart. And that's it. That is the sum total of the announced card. I was really hoping to have more to talk about when we got to this point, but uh, such is life. Anyway, that Saturday is UFC 218, which is a really good main card. I can't speak too much about the uh, the rest of the card, but the main card is really good, so we'll be previewing that. 
as well tonight. So I uh, got all that to look forward to. Uh, fortunately, I don't think you're going to be stuck listening to me talk to myself this week. I haven't heard from Pat yet, but he, but blog talk and his communication services don't get along all that well on occasion. So hopefully he'll be able to make it. But here with me, uh, as usual, he was off last week due to traveling for the holidays. Speaking of, to all of our American listeners, I hope you all had a very enjoyable and safe Thanksgiving and requisite shopping trips afterwards for those of you who engaged in that so uh but anyway jeff harris is back with us this evening how you doing jeff happy holidays everyone i pay my respects to astro's second baseman jose altuve who is now uh the american league mvp congratulations to you uh jose altuve um and uh go astros yeah Go Astros. Houston Astros all the way. Houston Astros 2018. All right. Okay, we're going to go ahead and jump into the results from Fight Night 122 here. Uh, Okay, your main event. uh, This went about as I – happened faster than I expected, but this transpired about as I expected. Kelvin Gastelum knocks out Michael Bisbing in the first round. Um, not a whole lot to say here. Uh, you know, Bisbing is—he shouldn't have been allowed to fight here. That's part of the issue. Just straight up shouldn't have happened. But I mean, hey, the UFC will pull Mark Hunt from a card because he's suing them. But uh, Michael Bisbing, nah, he's fine to fight. You know, 20 days after he was bludgeoned by George St. Pierre, that's fine. Uh, the, the finishing sequence was actually nice by Gastelum. He was, they were both kind of probing each other with, you know, especially Bisbing's jab. They were just kind of, you know, getting a feel. Gastelum threw a one-two that kind of landed, but was more designed to provoke the response from Bisbing that it did. Bisbing fired back, and oh, God. Bisbing's posture when he threw these punches was so bad. He's normally pretty good about this, but he threw a, you know, a left hook into a right cross, more or less across. I mean, straight punches in MMA aren't really a thing. And he was so far out of position. Gastelum just slipped the cross, landed a right hook that didn't have a whole lot of mustard on it, but it put Bisbing's chin straight up in the air, and he had a follow-up left that absolutely took his head off. Uh, Jeff, again, you weren't here last week, but did this go relative to your expectations, and what did you think about the action? Very much so. I'm not surprised by what happened. I was expecting this to happen. And look, am I a doctor? No. Uh, I don't have a medical degree, but I don't think Bisping should have been in this fight. And, and it's very possible if Bisping had, like, say, a five, six-month layoff, this fight could have very much ended the same way. Uh, Gaston has very underrated boxing, and he's quite powerful. Uh, when he lets his hands go, he's he's a very dangerous fighter. He's he, and he's proven to be dangerous at middleweight as well. But um, I highly doubt if this fight was in New York or Las Vegas that it would have been sanctioned. And uh, no, I'm not a doctor, but the guy the guy got rocked and he got choked out. Uh, that means oxygen was cut off to his brain uh, just three weeks before this fight. 
Um, now, I read on MMA Junkie that he was given a 30-day medical suspension after the fight with George St. Pierre. However, um, an article by Ben Folks on MMA Junkie said his 30-day uh, medical, recommended medical suspension. And, and just, you know, just for clarification, um, you can get cleared earlier from those medical suspensions with, with uh, a doctor's clearance. However, they said Bisbing suddenly turned from um, 30 days to seven. The date of when it, of when that happened is not clear, but uh, it's very it's it's a little suspicious. Am I wrong here, Robert? I no. think that's a little suspicious. It's very suspicious, and it also wasn't ne- wasn't entirely necessary because the UFC was self regulating here. They could just have legitimately ignored it because there's no repercussions. Right. Um, and again, those suspensions in the past they can get. Um, you know, like sometimes you'll get an arbitrary one of like no contact for or or whatever for a certain amount of time, and those can get waived. I understand that, but I, I just feel like in uh, Bisbing, and I talked to Bisbing on a conference call about this, and he didn't like when I asked him about this. Uh, and um, I was trying to find out if, if it's different at all, like considering he had just fought less than three weeks before um, what the medical evaluation process was like. And he seemed to say it was the same. But uh, I don't approve of him taking this fight. And I'm not the only one who said this. Joe Rogan has said it on his podcast. And I don't really think you need a medical degree to see that something was quite wrong here. I'm sorry. No, I, again, I wasn't necessarily in favor of this. I understood why the UFC did it. It's for logistical reasons, but I I said when they announced it, I again like there's well, a certain look, I deg- mean I mean this is this is the problem of having this many cards and needing sort of like a name on the other side of a ma- of a main event for a China card. I'm not saying they shouldn't be in China, but like they're having so many events back to back um and um they, you know that 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 they're left scrambling in the event of a drug test failure or an injury. Um, I'm not saying they should have canceled the event, Robert, but um, uh, booking Bisbing in such a quick turnaround right after he he got destroyed. If he was in like a really quick fight where he wasn't eating a lot of shots and taking some damage like that, I, I think I think there you know I think there are circumstances where where fighting maybe because um, there there have been fighters who have done it, and I think it's been okay or maybe not okay, but not I think as extenuating as this or, or as ill-advised as this. And I would say this is the highest level of ill-advised. Yeah, if he had just been submitted quickly, even if he had decided to go unconscious to the choke instead of tapping, that's not a big deal. Like the fact that he was unconscious from a choke is he was less troubling. By- he was knocked it was down that, and rocked. Yeah, it was the left was hook and then the and, subsequent elbows. Like, those elbows right. were nasty. But he was rocked multiple times in that fight. He was he was wobbled by a Superman punch. And, uh, and he, he ate a lot of punches in that fight, and he looked uh, banged up. Yeah. You know? And, and uh, here, I'll find another quote. There's a, there's a pretty, I don't want to say damning, but there's a pretty telling quote 
by Dana White from 2013, basically saying, like, if you get knocked out, like, you, you have to take three months off, you know? I think, I think something like the Walt Harris Verdum situation, I think a quicker turnaround from that, from a oh. fight like that, that makes more sense, right? Because yeah, I mean, it was really... it was less than two minutes. It was like barely right. ninety seconds. There were no real strikes thrown, and it was and there was exactly. no damage from the resulting armbar. Like there's circumstances right. where a quick turnaround based on damage you took is not the worst thing in the world. Right. Bisping took a lot then, of damage in that for GSP either fight. Guy, for either guy in that fight, it still wasn't three weeks, Robert. It yeah. still wasn't three weeks for either Walt Harris. Or Verdum. No. Oh, geez, it was like two weeks. It, it, it was nothing. Like, they both fought very quickly after that. Um, no, wait. I think Verdum, it was, it was longer than three weeks, though, right? I'd have to double-check, because he main-evented the card from last week. But Harris fought like... Like, they just rebooked his, his bout with right. uh, Electrical Yannick for the next card, I think. I mean, that, that was all okay, very so close for, together. So for Verdum, that fight with Harris was October 7th. He fought again on the 19th. So that was over a month. That was longer than three weeks. Okay. But Walt Harris. Walt Harris was still longer than Michael Bisping's turnaround. His was, um, he, he fought again on November 4th. So that's like, uh, let me think, 24, that's... four weeks. That was four weeks for him. He had a week longer than Bisping off, a week longer after the submission yeah. to Verdum. And he, and yeah, and he legitimately took no damage in that fight. Exactly, exactly. Legitimately no damage. I think in those I'm not. I'm saying it's case by case. I'm not saying you can never do that, but I'm saying that was a case where, okay, it's not quite as bad. Um, eh. In Bisping's case, I don't think it should have been, it should have been allowed. Yeah, and, I agree. And, and look, I, I, I was in full support of how the UFC handled the Mark Hunt situation. To me, I, I think you're wrong, Robert. It's not because of the lawsuit. I don't think you can... You can uh, I think if he wasn't suing them, they would not have pulled him from the card regardless of what I he disagree. said. I disagree. That's oh, fair. That, yeah, that's, that, uh, that's fair. Saying. I mean, like, we'll never that's know. That's what he's saying. But I believe it was the right thing to do after that, that Player's Voice article. He, he's credited his writing... Uh, got released online because if, if anything were to happen to him, that would look terrible for the UFC in court. But I think this looks equally terrible uh, for them in a, in a legal standpoint. What, when they're taking that stance with Mark Hunt, and then have a situation like this Michael Bisping fight, it, it, yeah. it's just not a good look. Hey, if the UFC were consistent, the world as we know it would like stop revolving. Uh, all right, calling in uh, a little bit later than. Normal, but I'm glad he's back here anyway, uh, holding us down on the East Coast, assuming I'm remembering his number correctly. Uh, Pat Mullen is here with us. Pat, how are you doing this evening? Hey, good evening, guys. Uh, so hey. if I am to understand correctly, we are debating the merits versus non-merits of how fast they, uh, Michael Bisping was allowed to return and fight after a fight in which he sustained some damage, was choked out, unconscious, and then was summarily knocked out. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And your thoughts on the fight between Bisbing and Gastelum, such as it was, if you feel, if you have anything else you want to add there. Uh, I mean, on the fight itself, I, I, and keep in mind, this is not me condoning 
the fact that they allowed this short of a turnaround for Michael Bisping, because I don't. Um, I don't think the turnaround really made a difference in what the end result was going to be. This is a bad style matchup for Michael Bisping any way you slice it. Um, and I don't think he would have beaten Calvin Gaston, my honest opinion, uh, whether he was, you know, in a full week, a full 11 week camp with no damage suffered three months prior to that, uh, whether it was the short turnaround after he lost George, I, I think Michael Bisping loses to Kelvin Gastelum 99 times out of a hundred, um, based on the style matchup between the two of them. Um, now that being said, I think it's embarrassing for the UFC that they allowed that to go, um, and be scheduled and take place. Um, you know, if I, if we go back to prior precedents, have they allowed guys to fight on short notice? Yeah. In terms of guys who either lost, but lost without getting, you know, into a fight that lasted very long or significant damage could be done. Uh, the first example I always think of is Walt Harris. Um, and I think that was a month difference or so roughly like, 34 Four days or something. Yeah. Four weeks, in, in, uh, um, and uh, similarly, it was about six weeks for his opponent, Verdum, when he had a turnaround. Turn right, and Verdum came, came off a W, if I'm not mistaken. And Harris, when he did lose, um, I, I think he basically didn't even get struck. I think he just got summarily submitted really no. quick. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I am remembering that right. Um, you are. You know, the only – the only negative that this is is that anybody who kind of lauded the way they handled the Mark Hunt situation now has this kind of ammunition to throw at them. Uh, so I think in that respect, it's a very short, short-sighted move by the UFC. I think they immediately regretted it when the fight happened, to be honest. And I think they'll regret it the more people tend to talk about, well, he just got choked out, and it was in a hard-hitting fight. He, got, he took damage. It went, you know, X amount of rounds, and now you're going to throw him right back in with a guy who, say what you will about Calvin Gastelum overall, Calvin Gastelum hits really hard and turns people's lights out when he can, and he did that to Bisping. I agree with yeah. you, Pat. I don't think the outcome of the fight, I, I honestly think if, if Bisping took the fight three months later, and like if he fought him several months later in London and was well-rested, um, and have more time to train, I think the fight probably still would have ended the same way, honestly. Yeah, However, maybe not as quick. But, I mean, to have, regardless, isn't it still bad to have, to have, to take that much damage so close together? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so, that's why you're supposed to have, you know, regulatory bodies that can say, uh, no, we're not sanctioning this. Uh, even even beyond the UFC, the UFC still has to have whatever wherever governing body of the state or province or what have you running, they're running in. That governing body has the ability to step in and say, hey, we're not sanctioning this because this fighter was just, you know, choked unconscious and took damage in a relatively short span of time. We're not sanctioning this. That didn't happen. Um, I actually would say that the likelihood of, you know, the British Boxing Board of Control used to also regulate MMA as well in England, and they may still, I'm not positive, um, but they used to be known as one of the strictest governing bodies in terms of even small cuts. They would not sanction somebody to be allowed to have full contact sparring within X amount of time frame. Um, It was really ridiculously stringent, and that was a good thing. 
Um, this fight, so you can't only put the blame on the UFC. Yes, they should be ashamed that they did that. But, you know, the state athletic commissions are the ones who can say, we're not doing this. We don't really care what you say about his health. Common sense and our experience is telling us that this is a fight that shouldn't take place. Well, to be fair, the UFC was self-regulating for this event, so this one's pretty much all on them. To me, it's all on the UFC. It's not even on Michael Fitz. Where, where did this take place? Uh, they Shanghai, were in China. China. They were in Shanghai, China. For oh, no wonder they got away with it. Come on. Yeah, completely. I mean, I, mean, yeah, I even have out- this thing. I even Go asked Bisping about this in a conference call, and he didn't really seem to like the questions, but he's like, I'm 100% fine physically. Um, I got all my medicals, and, and he was basically saying he was cleared. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I, again, I'm not a doctor. I don't have a medical degree, but I don't really feel like you have to have a medical degree to see this is wrong. Um, and even... Look, he took the Luke Rockhold fight. That fight was on less than three weeks' notice, but um, that fight was in June, and his last fight before then was in February. So at least he had several months off to it. I mean, at least he had several months off to rest and recover from a from a fight with Anderson Silva that went five rounds, um, where he was knocked down and took some damage in that fight. Uh, yeah. And let's, Neither, let's no, look at another There's no precedent. defending this. There's no defending no, this. No, let's look at another precedent on this, too. When we have, you know, a lot of people laud the, the days of old-school boxing where guys would fight, you know, a 15-round fight against, you know, whoever, and then three weeks later they had a rematch, and then a week after that they fought somebody else. And they so you look at their amazing record, then, you know, over uh, an X amount of year career, a guy, say, piled up a record where he had over 300 fights total, okay? That's fine, but at the same time, if you look at how many of those guys wound up with long-term health effects from that, it's staggering, and that's why guys don't do it anymore. That's why I laugh at people when you want to criticize some of the modern greats in terms of, okay, yeah, well, you know, Floyd Mayweather's 15-0, but... He's fought 50 times over the course of, you know, 20 years. And Sugar Ray Robinson fought, you know, 20 times in the span of one year in 1946. So what does that tell you? That tells me there's a very good reason why Ray Robinson at the end of his life was brain damaged. And Floyd Mayweather may not be intelligent, but he's not brain damaged. That's fair. Uh, All right. You know, again, this went about as I expected. I said it last week. Kelvin Gastelum doesn't have... Ah, how did I say this? Because I liked how I said it. He doesn't have the biggest punching power in the division, but he has very good power, and to complement that, he has fast hands and he is an accurate puncher, and you don't need to knock someone out by hitting him in the shoulder when you can place your punches where they need to go. Uh, No, he's, he's got what you call... He's got what you call clubber power. There's the guys who throw those punches and have that snap on them that are more your one-punch guys. And then there's guys who throw punches that hit and land, and they may not knock you out with one, but they hurt you. You feel those a whole lot more, and they discourage you and break you. 
And that's the kind of puncher Gastelum is. And Gastelum said he's willing to step in to fight Robert Whitaker for the interim middleweight title in, in the upcoming Perth card. I don't know how that if that'll work out. I'd be very interested in that. Both those guys are slightly on the smaller side for the division. They both competed at welterweight for a while. I don't know how Gastelum would fare against someone who's a really good striker like Whitaker, but it's not a bad fight. And considering the title picture is still up in the air on multiple fronts, you could do worse. Uh, all right, moving on. Unless there was anything else you guys wanted to touch on for uh, from that fight? No. All right. Our our co-main event. You know what? No. I'm not going to do it this way. I'm just going to... That was the only really relevant fight. I'm just going to go through the results for the rest of this. We'll just do Burning Desires because I don't feel there's a lot here, of here, things... Here, here, Robert. I don't think there's a lot to discuss about Lee Jing Leong beating Zach Otto. I apologize to both Lee and Otto for that, but such is life at the moment. Hey, anyway. who, who, are, who are you to doubt El Dandy? <laughs> It's funny, we were talking about head trauma and why you don't have, why you don't want to have a lot of them back-to-back, and now you're bringing up Bret Hart. Uh, timely. Jose Altuve is the American League MVP. Did you guys know that? <laughs> All right, before we get too far off the rails. Uh, all right, Lee Jing Leong defeats Zach Otto via TKO in the first round. Jing Leong hits hard, man. Um, he doesn't look it because a lot of guys who have, who have legitimately have power don't, but... He hits hard, and Zach Otto was pretty much there to be beaten. Uh, Wang Guan defeated Alex Caceres via split decision. There were two 29-28s for Guan, one 29-28 for okay, Caceres. This, this I want to talk about. Uh, I'll get back to you in a second. Let me go through all these, because I have a few things on this one as well. Um, first of all, Clucky, I know you're just trolling me with this. Because I almost got you with the last time you scored a fight for Caceres. I almost got you, and you, uh, you're just you're just trying to troll me. Um, this this really was all Guan. I gave him all three rounds, to be honest. Um, Alex Garcia defeats Muslim Salikov via rear naked choke in the second round. I still don't see Alex Garcia having a very high ceiling, but he's no gimme. Uh, my favorite fight of the evening. Zabit Magomed Sharipov defeated Shimon Morais via Anaconda choke in the third round. I'm not going to call Magomed Sharipov a future champion. I suck at that. The only one I've accurately predicted was Max Holloway. But he, I can see why people say that about him, and he is an absolute joy to watch fight. Um, Song Kanan defeated Bobby Nash via TKO 15 seconds into the first round. Nothing really happened here. Um, Yan Shaonan defeated Kylan Curran via unanimous decision, 229 130-27. Kylan Curran should not be in the UFC. Uh, really impressive performance from Song Yadong, uh, who defeated Barat Kander via front choke submission in the first round. Yadong I'm sorry, really, really impressive performance by who? Pat, we are not children here. I'm trying to make this card interesting. The UFC didn't. Fair enough. Uh, anyway, Song Yadong, he's only 19, and there's a lot of technical ability he showed off. He's very technically proficient. He does a lot of things right, and 
I'm curious also, to see a what damn good do. chef makes makes a hell of a cream of some young guy. <laughs> All right. Uh, Shamil Abdurahimov defeated Chase Sherman via knockout in the first round. Low-level heavyweights. Uh, what do you want me to say? Chase Sherman kind of sucks. Gina Mazzani defeated Wu Yanan via unanimous decision. 30-27 across the board. Zang. Low-level fight. Rolando D defeated Wu, uh, excuse me, Wuliji Gorin uh, via unanimous decision. 30-27, 29-28, Not a whole lot here. D was just a significantly more powerful fighter. And Burin. Burin had some really nice technical wrestling, but not a whole lot to kind of complement it. And kicking everything off, Cyril Asker defeated Hu Yao Zhang via your naked choke in the second round. Yao Zhang only has like four fights. He took this on short notice. Uh, this was just a guy in over his head. All right, Pat, you said you had a few things you wanted to touch on. Uh, the floor is yours. What do you want to... Any burning desires from, again, everything outside of the main event? Okay, so Caceres versus what's his name? Wong Guan. Right. Wasn't really paying attention. However, at one point, I believe it was after the second round... This guy had Caceres in a lot of trouble and legitimately hurt and really out of it. The referee, whoever he is, First I don't ever round. recall seeing him before. I believe Literally it was Steve Person. Took hold of took hold of Caceres and walked him to his corner. If you have to do that, this guy should still not be in this fight. It should be waved off because he is clearly in a bad, bad way, and has taken too much damage when he needs the referee to walk him to his corner. I believe it was it was Steve Percival or Mark Goddard, if memory serves. I can't remember. Uh, there was another guy there who I just didn't recognize. It wasn't. It was not Mark Goddard because I would have remembered Mark Goddard. I know him. Then, then I think it was Steve Percival, who's done some other UFC events in the past. Um, that was at the end of the first. Uh, Caceres walked into a left hook that really, really... They could have stopped that between rounds. I'm pretty sure it was... No, it was the second. I think it was the second. I don't know. I'd have to double-check my notes. But, yeah, I remember that. Like, they could have stopped that between rounds, and I don't think anyone would have complained. But the referee is supposed to be a neutral... A, a neutral party. B... He's there to protect the fighters. And he violated both of those flagrantly by taking Caceres and walking him to his corner and then by allowing him to fight. Yeah, it was... It was a problem. Uh, that, the only thing was... I, can, I can recall being similar to that is if you go way back in time to the turn of the century when they were first filming boxing matches, there's a very famous lightweight uh, title match with Ed Wolgast and, a ref- and his own hand-picked referee where there is a double knockdown due to exhaustion in like the 20-something round. I forget what. The referee begins counting, physically lifts Wolgast up and keeps counting to give him the win. This is like that. All right, was there anything else you wanted to touch on? No, just that's among the most incompetent 
biased, arguably on the take officials I've ever seen in Mick. And All I right, lost a Jeff. lot of pride. <laughs> that's that's true. You did. All right, Jeff. Anything? Uh, any burning desires you have from the rest of this card? Nope. All righty. Uh, thanks to everyone who read Be That Live as I was wrapping up because this thing started at 1.45 in the morning, my time. Uh, look, I got what I wanted out of it, mostly because I was looking forward to Magomed Sharipov's fight, and that was a good one. So, again, thanks to everyone for reading. Uh, much appreciated. All right. Also, shout out to uh, Sharif Abdurrahim for retiring from basketball but doing awesome in MMA. True. Okay, uh, I brought this up a little bit earlier. Uh, the UFC has not actually really announced the card for the Ultimate Fighter finale, which will take place Friday, the 1st. Um, I believe the main event is going to be the title fight. We know half of that. But they've only announced four other bouts for this card, none of which are all that interesting. So I'm just going to kind of throw this, and I'll start with you, Jeff. Uh, of what's been announced or what's been rumored to take place on this card, is there anything you're really looking forward to? Joe Soto's fighting. I like Joe Soto. And uh, I remember that guy. There's not much else, to be honest with you. Uh, they haven't I mean, announced really, almost anything else. We don't really have a card here, and um, the Alvarez, uh, the Alvarez uh, fight isn't happening until uh, later. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's going to be on the pay-per-view. Yeah, so Alvarez is fighting Ga- Gagey on 218. Oh, eh, so happy. Yeah. Let me see. I like Again, Joe like Soto. I, that's about it. That's about it. Soto and Johns so, isn't actually a bad fight. Uh, Johns is undefeated. He's like 14 and 0. He's had a couple of UFC bouts. That's not a bad fight. And Soto's on a three-fight winning streak, so things have been looking up for him lately. Yeah. So, um, do they have any of the girls from the show fighting in prelim bouts for this part, or no? Uh, at least one. I think they have Murphy versus. Montano? No, Montano's in the main event. Oh, right. Uh, Lauren Murphy's on the card. She's fighting someone, I think they've announced a Brazilian by the name of Priscilla Cachoeira. Something like okay, that. Okay, I have I no know. idea why Lauren Murphy's on the card, because she's awful, but... Yeah. Uh, Pat, you've actually watched some of... I, I imagine they'll have Rachel Ostovich fighting, because she's actually good. Yeah. Uh, Barb will probably yeah. fight. Well, Barb, Barb is in the main event now. She she got there with the win over Rachel Ostevich, um, which, by the no, way, no. was a very hang, hang good on, hang fight. On. Hang on. No, Barb lost to uh, Nico Montano. Oh, no. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm thinking of um, what's-her-face. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. My, my chronology's off. Um yeah, Nico's a tough chick, man. Let me tell you. 
Yeah, she's fighting either Roxanne Modafari or Sajara Eubanks. Sajara Eubanks, yeah. Um, but uh, Barb, when Barb fought Rachel, because you mentioned Rachel, that was a good fight that really should have gone to a third round. Um, that was good. Like, I, you can see Barb is definitely still working the rust off, and I don't necessarily think it was the best thing for her to have to do it in a format which she would have to fight so quick so often. Um and fight a couple of really good girls. Nico, nobody knew who she was before this show started, and she's really come out as a shining star for just gritty toughness, good, hard striking, and very good grappling defense, which is how she beat Barb. Um, so she's going to be fighting either Roxanne or Sajara. My money is leaning towards Roxanne. Um largely because Eubanks has had major issues with weight cutting on the show. And the girls she's beaten are not overly impressive. Um, and I think Roxanne, who I give a lot of credit to reinventing herself a little bit, she's made market improvements in her stand-up game because she had none to speak of prior to this. And she at least is now competent enough to hold her hands up, punch straight, keep her chin down most of the time. Um, so she's gotten very good in that regard, and it serves ultimately as a purpose to give you the threat of that to get to the grappling. And I have not seen Sajara deal with a, a quality grappler like Roxanne, and I've seen Sajara look bad until she lands a home run. So Roxanne's basically going to have to avoid the home run ball and just control herself and likely take it a little bit deeper because of Sajara's weight cut issues, where you'd have to imagine – the gas tank is going to be suspect once it gets past a certain point. Sajara basically has one out here. She has to knock Roxanne out. And Roxanne has been knocked out before, but I don't see it happening here. I think Roxanne's going to use striking ultimately to set up clinches, take down from the clinch, wear her on a little bit with knees, and probably get the tap out in the second round. So we're looking at Nico Montagna versus Roxanne Martafari for the final. Uh, wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, all right. Any prediction for that bout, assuming it happens that way, just very briefly? You, you know what? I'm Team Nico on this. I And I'm, I'm not trying to discredit Roxanne because I just put her over with the improvements she made to her game. And again, one of the best pure jiu-jitsu players in, in women's MMA but Nico is just, you know, she was an anomaly and an enigma, and she's come out, and the things I've seen her do in fights, I don't really see Roxanne being able to cope with well when she's faced opponents who do things like that to her. Um, you know, Sarah Kaufman beat her with toughness more than anything else before she hit her with that slam. Um, and, and, you know, if you look at when Roxanne lost in the first go-around on The Ultimate Fighter, to uh, Juliana Pena. Juliana Pena out-toughed her and made her break. Nico's that kind of girl. Nico's tough, like that X-factor level of tough, and she strikes quick. She does it well. She's in phenomenal shape. We haven't seen her do a lot of grappling because she's been defending it very well against people who want to go there with her. Uh, You know, Montana Stewart wanted to go there, couldn't get anywhere close to it. Barb, who's a terrific fighter and a great grappler, could not get Nico there when she wanted her to. So I'm going Nico all the way, new champ. 
right, Jeff, any thoughts on, again, the potential new champion, the card in general? Otherwise, we're going to move on to UFC 218, which is, uh, again, it's a really good main main card. Uh, I'm picking Nico. Um, I like Roxanne Monster, right on, Jeff. but uh, I don't think she performs well on a, on the big stage. Um, I, I, you know, I know she's an emotional favorite to many, but I mean, her striking is not good. And I know, I mean, she is fighting a lower weight class this time, but I, I just think, I think she's going to get outworked by Nico, who's really impressed me on the ultimate fighter against some tough veterans. Um, and I think that's kind of what's going to happen here. I think she's just going to completely outwork and overwhelm, uh, Roxanne Montefiore, but we'll see. I I just hope it's a good fight. I that also would be nice. to say, like, I, I would, I'd really like to see the UFC put together a Barb Rachel fight on the card that goes three rounds. That was the best fight on the show, more than likely, in anyone's opinion. Um, I don't know if you saw that, Jeff, or how much you've been following the show. I thought it was a very good fight, and I would love to see a rematch. Uh, I hope they do. If they don't do it on this show, I hope they do it down the line. Uh, I'm also. I haven't watched it, but I've been listening to, you know, Pat's thoughts when he does. And I remember, because uh, I watched, uh, I watched Rachel Ostovich's debut in Invicta. It wasn't that long ago. Uh, it's nice to see she's made some strides because while she had some ability, there was a lot of work that needed to be done last time I saw her fight. Yeah, she she was very raw at that point in time, and um, she she's. She's gotten very good, and the fact that she was able to stay competitive with Barb says a lot, which, again, I know Barb is rusty, and she's a little bit older. And like I said, I don't think this format was the best for her to launch a comeback. But I I think the fact that she was able to fight on even terms with her with much less experience behind her and did things well, that's a very big positive for her to carry on with. All right. Anyway, the night after that, uh, that will be again Friday the 1st. And then Saturday the 2nd, we have UFC 218. Uh, they're back in Detroit. And uh, this card's undergone a little bit of changes over the last week or so. Uh, excuse me, last couple of weeks. Nothing major. Our main card is still basically intact. Uh, the main event... Gah... I loved this fight the first time around. I like it still. I, w- I do wish we were still getting the original fight. This was originally supposed to be Max Holloway and Frankie Edgar. And I love that fight, and I was looking forward to that fight, and I thought Holloway would have finished Edgar. And I think the world of Frankie's abilities, but that's what I think of Holloway as well. But Frankie, because he's, you know, 8 billion years old in the fight game, uh, suffered an injury... I believe it was a facial injury and was stuck on a no contact for a significant period of time, enough to impact this. And stepping in, we have former featherweight champion and still probably the best featherweight of all time, Jose Aldo. Uh, this is a rematch of their last fight. Holloway could easily sur- could surpass him. That wouldn't shock me one bit. Not He's one. Nope. Surpass. Would not. Uh, the, then yeah, this fight's going to go a long way to establishing that. Uh, yeah. Uh, again, these two fought... Again, it was Holloway's last... It was both of their last fights. It was uh, at UFC 212. Holloway stopped him in the third round with strikes because Max Holloway is a beast. 
Um, let me say this about this fight. I liked their first fight a lot. It was a very interesting bout. Uh, Aldo came out very aggressive to begin with. Uh, fought a very good first two rounds. He won the first round pretty clearly, and there's an argument that he won the second. Uh, this wasn't a you know a cakewalk for Holloway. But Holloway did it, made some really clever adjustments that negated a lot of Aldo's offense, especially as time went on. He got a better feel for the range. He adopted a very interesting just fight stance from the beginning. Um, I think Jack Slack referred to it as a gunslinger stance in terms of his uh, hip position. And that's, the reason for that is that stance actually diminishes the effectiveness of leg kicks. There's a few other things it opens you up to. There's always you know, trade-offs. But it does make you a lot harder to kick to the thigh. And, it, and, and Aldo was apparently dealing with a, you know, a foot injury. But there were some things that Holloway did that took away one of Aldo's better weapons. Now, again, Aldo adjusted by punching him in the face quite a few times. But Max Holloway's got a good chin. I mean, he's never really been hit all that cleanly before. But I think it needs to be acknowledged at this point in time that not only is he a great striker uh, with a, you know, a high vocabulary, a, an incredible output, if you happen to catch him back, you better hit really, really hard because some really, really hard punchers like McGregor and Aldo have failed to really rattle him. I just I I have a really hard time picking anyone at featherweight to beat Max Holloway at the moment. Even if he gives up a round or two, it's a not because he's just giving them up, but if you take a round or two from him, he adjusts. Like Max Holloway adjusts minute to minute as a fight goes on better than anyone in the sport. It's one of the most obscenely difficult things to do is as you are, you know, engaged in combat to make reads and to adjust to it. Truly elite-level fighters do that. And Holloway is probably the best at it. I leaned towards Holloway the last time. I have no issues leaning towards him again. I just think that there's part of this matchup that will always favor Max Holloway. He's you know taller and longer. He's patient. He adjusts well. And he moves very well. Uh, Jose Aldo's at his best when he's the one dictating movement, especially against the rematch with Frankie Edgar. There's a master class in how he dictated movement. When he's on the back foot, as far as that goes, he is much more hittable, and he is a much more average fighter. And Max Holloway is an exceptional fighter. Uh, I, I Again... I'll say this, Aldo winning wouldn't shock me because Jose Aldo is still very, very good. But I'm leaning pretty solidly towards Holloway this time, uh, again. And I think he probably finishes him again. And I do hope we get Holloway versus Edgar in the near future because there's, things, there's just things about that matchup that make me as a fan all kinds of happy. Uh, Jeff, I'll start with you as far as this one goes. What are your thoughts on the main on the main event? How do you see this playing out? Max Holloway wins. Max Holloway, the blessed era continues. He's going to crush Jose Aldo just like the first fight. He's going to dung him and finish him. Uh, Jose Aldo, he's going to look confused. He's not going to use his leg kicks even. 
he's not going to be able to beat Max Holloway. Max Holloway is better than Jose Aldo in every single area, uh, every single one, and he keeps getting better. He's been on an 11-fight winning streak. Uh, he, he, he won 10 fights just to fight Jose Aldo. He's won eight of his last 11 wins. Um, he's, he, he's too much for him. Max Holloway is, in many ways, he reminds me of, of the Jose Aldo of old and the WEC, who would just wreck guys. Uh, when Aldo came to the UFC, um, he didn't really fight like that anymore. Um, he's not as dangerous. He's not as much of a threat as Max Holloway is to this division. Um, he got complacent. And Max Holloway punished him for that complacency, and he's going to do it again. And... Um, the blessed champion era, it's not going to stop here. It's going to keep going. I wish this was Cub Swanson fighting Max Holloway. I know it was a rematch, but it was between Swanson and Edgar beforehand. And I think uh, Swanson was more deserving of the title shot here. But it's fine. Holloway will come to work, and he's going to do business again. Uh, and he is in the business of the blessed era. And uh, it's not going to happen for Jose Aldo. He's going to regret taking this fight. I'm somewhat disappointed because I kind of wanted to see what Aldo was going to be like uh, without a title on the line. Um, Because uh, as it's been pointed out, he's been in a a UFC title fight uh, in his entire octagon career. So I was anxious to see how he was going to fight without a title being on the line. But I guess we're going to have to wait a little longer for that. All right, Pat, your thoughts on this one? To me, the big word, it's a word you used, it's adaptability. When I watched their first fight, you can see Max Holloway make adjustments to take away things that Jose Aldo did. What Jose Aldo did not do were make changes to his style so that Holloway could not take advantage. And the big one big one is Jose pulling out of exchanges with his chin held high against guys with a shorter reach or shorter guys who have to reach up to hit him. He can get away with that. There's times where guys have been able to catch him who were fast enough, but gave away that height and reach like Frankie Edgar, but it's not something Jose ever changes. That's one of the big reasons why Max Holloway was able to win the first fight between them. Because Max has that height and reach, knows how to use it, and could catch Jose with those long arms or long legs when Jose pulled out of those exchanges with his chin up. I don't see him changing that because he's never changed it. That's why longer, taller guys are always going to be an issue for Jose because he doesn't know how to fight them effectively. He doesn't fight them on the inside, and because he fights long and outside and he wants to control distance and keep things at kickboxing distance, he leaves himself susceptible to that. It's not something his camp has ever addressed or, tra- or changed, and that's why I don't see the end result here changing. That's why generally with Jose Aldo as a whole, you don't see a lot of change in the fights that he has when he rematches somebody. You know, Chad Mendez lasted longer the second time, because he just didn't open himself up the way he did the first time. Frankie Edgar didn't have as much success in their rematch as he did in the first fight, 
because he tried new things, and those new things didn't work all the time. He was able to catch Jose pulling away, but he couldn't make the adjustment fully, and that's why he lost. This fight's going to look like the first one, more than likely, probably last even a little bit shorter amount of time than the first one. This will probably end in the second. And that's all there is to it. Jose can't change what he does. Holloway can, and that's what makes the difference. Yeah, again, I look forward to Max Holloway's continued reign at featherweight uh, because I love watching Max Holloway fight. I just do. He's so much fun. And I still have the – it'll probably never happen, but I do wish – I dream of a five-round lightweight fight between Holloway and Tony Ferguson because I am a fan of the insanity that both men bring into fighting. All right, your co-main event for this. This is an interesting one. Uh, Alistair Overeem is fighting Francis Ngannou. Boom, heavyweights. This one better end with a boom. So help me. Um, Francis Ngannou might be the hardest puncher straight up in all of MMA. If we want to, you know, if you bring in pound for pound discussions, the whole thing shifts. But in terms of just how, how hard can each person in the sport punch, Francis Ngannou might well come out on top of that particular discussion. He might be one of the hardest recorded punchers in human history. Now, granted, that is recorded, so feel free to begin debating how old-school guys would have fared, you know, if we actually could have measured them. There's still a lot of questions around Ngannou, though. We don't know how he does if a fight goes long. Uh, he's He's been, which is not to say he starts sucking wind after the first round. He's been out of the first round a couple of times, actually. Uh, his only loss is a two-round unanimous decision. He's been out of the again. He's been into the second a few times, and he does okay in those. He did okay in those in large part, I think, because he let his he hurt his opponent, and then they exhausted themselves desperately trying to avoid punching with him. And then once they gassed, he just ended their nights. But I mean, we don't know how he deals with when a fight goes long. We don't know how he does in a fight where he has to move a lot. Uh, we don't know how he does against really good wrestlers. Comparatively, uh, we do know how uh, Alistair Overeem does when a fight goes long. And that's true. His gas tank is nothing to write home about, I, say, I would say. Even though he's it, won some decisions against Fabrizio Verdum, those fights were hot garbage. And the fact he won them, I mean, I mean, he won them very marginally. Both those fights. Yeah. Uh, I wonder how he's going to... My biggest question here is how is Ngannou going to do against someone who knows how to strike? Because Alistair Overeem knows how to strike. He's a very good striker. That's, he, he's good, that's but the big he one. very rarely uses straight punches. Well, you know, he he doesn't punch straight all the time, but there is one major adjustment he's made in the past three years to what he does, and uh, you guys may have noticed it. When Alistair first went up to heavyweight, the big thing was he would only throw one strike at a time because he didn't want to get hit in return. 
he's now a much more fluid combination striker because he understands that one may miss and now he's in a vulnerable position if it excuse me if it does and also if he wants to control the range he needs to throw more than one at a time to keep his opponent away and he's done that more effectively over the past three years than he ever did before and that's including his kickboxing fights um so that that's a big difference and the thing about him not throwing straight punches is is accurate but it's not like Ngannou isn't right there to be hit. Yeah, my big thing here is I, I wonder how Ngannou will do if he has to really kind of chase Overeem and if Overeem is able to manage distance, especially with leg kicks, and just kind of keep him off and make him move, how he'll respond to that. I'm still leaning towards Ngannou because significantly less powerful strikers have badly hurt Alistair Overeem. There's still a lot of unknowns around Nganu, but he's got good offensive technique. It's not exceptional, but he does the fundamentals pretty well. And if he hits, he does not have to land flush. He does not have to land clean. Against someone with the chin of Overeem, he may not even have to land to the traditional locations that would end him. That's how hard this guy can hit. I just don't trust Overeem's chin over the full three rounds here. But if he does win, again, I'm not going to be surprised by either guy winning. But I'm picking Nganu just because Overeem's chin is a significant liability, especially against a guy packing the type of firepower that Nganu does. Uh, Pat, your thoughts on how you think this will go? I'm leaning with the more proven commodity in Overeem. Ngannou's looked impressive against not the best level of opposition. And we can point out the flaws and things that we've seen Alistair expose about himself or have opponents expose about himself, uh, him over the past couple of years. That being said, in all likelihood, as it stands right now, he's probably the second best MMA heavyweight of all time. Second, maybe third. And he's done it against high-level guys. You know, the the consensus of him against Junior was that Junior's much better. Junior can punch better. He moves better. He can do all this stuff. And he'll beat Overeem. And instead, Alistair knocked out Junior Dos Santos. And all those things considered, usually when you count Overeem out, which a lot of people seem to be doing, he comes up and knocks somebody out. I think he's fighting a guy in Ngannou who's there to be hit, which is a really dangerous thing when you're fighting Alistair Overeem. I think we've seen Alistair do it more often against better guys, and I don't see Ngannou doing anything that Alistair has not seen or dealt with before that he wouldn't be able to hear. Ngannou's going to be the guy to challenge for the title at some point, but it ain't going to be after this fight. I think, I think Alistair still right now is too much for him at this point. All right, Jeff, how do you see this one playing out? Uh, I might be going out on a limb here. Uh, I'm going with Ngannou. Um, I like how his boxing matches up against Overeem. Uh, And uh, people have made Overeem pay for that in the past between um, Antonio Silva, uh, Travis Brown, Ben Rothwell, and uh, Stipe Miocic. Um, I 
I know, you know, Overeem has that K1 background, but, you know, frequently he just throws these big swinging punches and he doesn't always have success there. And I recall the one, the, the straightest punch I ever saw him throw almost flattened Steve Miocic. Um, he still lost that fight, but it makes me wonder why he doesn't throw more straight punches in his fights because, it, I mean, it, it worked well for him there, uh, and, he, and he didn't win him the fight, but it almost stopped Steve Miocic. Uh, I think we mu- will learn a lot about Ngannou, and I think the winner of this fight very likely contends for the title next. Or, or I mean, I think if Ngannou wins, he definitely uh, gets a next shot at the belt. But... Um, Hopefully it doesn't go too long. Otherwise, it could be a really it could be a really ugly battle. I don't want to see a I don't want to see a repeat of the last two uh, Overeem uh, versus uh, Verdum fights. Um, God help us if this fight gets out of the first round. Uh, yeah, I, I just want it to end quick, as I usually do with heavyweights. All right, next up we have a flyweight bout that, depending on how things shake out with several other parties could could determine the next flyweight title contender as Henry Cejudo fights Sergio Pettis. Um, I, I mean, if Pettis wins and the UFC is unable to make Demetrius Johnson and TJ Dillashaw, and a lot of people have reported that, that there's not a lot of movement on that bout, uh, if Pettis wins here, it almost has to be him because he's on a good winning streak and he <laughs> hasn't fought DJ yet. Uh, on the flip side, if Cejudo wins and wins impressively, I think you could easily sell a rematch between the two of them despite DJ beating him in the first uh, first time around. I'm, I thought I'd be more torn on this fight than I am. I am pretty heavily leaning towards Henry Cejudo. Sergio Pettis is a good fighter. But I've never seen him as a great fighter. He's good. He's very technically sound. He's got, you know, he sticks to a game plan pretty well. Like, there's a lot good about his game. He just seems to be missing that last little, you know, oomph that little bit that really determines, or at least he has shown, in mind, he has, I have not seen this from him, does not mean he isn't capable of it. He hasn't shown that extra bit of, I don't know what you, you know, for want of a better phrase, the X factor. He hasn't shown that little bit extra that makes you really pay attention to what he's capable of. By contrast, Henry Cejudo has shown that. Uh, I maintain he was on the wrong end of a couple of both bad scorecards and an odd decision by the referee when he fought Joseph Benavidez. And he just knocked the stupid out of Wilson Hayes. Um, I question how Pettis is going to do when he gets into a firefight with a guy who hits as hard as Cejudo does, because Cejudo packs some heat. I think Sergio is a little bit too accepting of being on his back, much like his brother Anthony, and Cejudo's got the wrestling chops to get him there. 
And I still have questions about how Pettis operates when he gets into a ugly fight. Like all the times he's been very successful, he's kept things very clinical. He's been able to be the superior technician. He's kept it very clean. And the times he has struggled were guys who were able to really put him into an ugly fight. And I think Cejudo's good enough to force that. And I I don't hate a rematch between Cejudo and Demetrius Johnson. Um, I'd still lean DJ heavily, but Cejudo's capable of pretty incredible athletic feats. And if he's able to continue improving his game and he's made the adjustments he needs to make, he could be a legitimate challenge to Mighty Mouse. So, uh, did I start with last time? Uh, Jeff, I'll go with you here. Uh, Cejudo and Pettis, do you go with, uh, who, who do you go with? Who do you think, who do you think wins? Mm-hmm. I'm going with Cejudo, um, mainly off of the strength of his performance against Wilson Hayes. Um, I don't think Pettis, I mean, Pettis shouldn't be able to out-wrestle him. Um, I, and I think Cejudo is getting better. And I, and I mean, his, his bo- I mean, his boxing is good. It's not like his striking and boxing aren't elite uh, by far, but uh, I, I think he has enough to deal with Pettis. And, and, and you know, Pettis is, I mean, look, Pettis is a good fighter. I think he, he he's proven it, but to me, he's not a great fighter. And he's not an elite fighter. Um, and I, I feel like he's gotten this far because, why, because I guess more more on the, his matchups and because flyweight is not as developed. The division is so shallow? Uh, yeah, I, I think that's part of it, but I think that's why he's on a four-fight winning streak but also why he hasn't – I think he's not elite because, you know, he's not finishing these guys, and he still hasn't fought for the title yet. Um, just kind of because it's not – because it is a shallow division and because it's not as competitive as, say, lightweight or even bantamweight. Um, I'm going with Cejudo here. All right, Pat, your thoughts? I think Jeff made two excellent points about why Sergio Pettis is in this position – because he's on a win streak against favorable opposition and because the division is shallow, it does not have the depth of your more competitive divisions like Bantamweight, for example, middleweight at the moment. And that's why Sergio Pettis is here. He literally does not do anything better than Henry Cejudo. Nothing. He's not a better striker. He's not a better wrestler. He is not a better jujitsu player. He's not in better condition. Henry Cejudo does everything better. I will be shocked if this fight is even competitive in any way because Cejudo is that much better. Cejudo should steamroll him here or just win a, like, a, as one-sided the decision as you'll ever see uh, and onward and upward for Cejudo to a rematch with DJ where I think that's the best fight you can make at flyweight. All right. Um, next up, yeah. I really wish this fight were the main event for the Friday card. I really do. I don't think this fight needs five rounds. I don't think it's going five rounds. But, man, I wish it had five rounds just in case. (laughs) Um, 
as a fan of violence, I don't think I'm going to find a better fight the rest of the year, maybe, than Eddie Alvarez versus Justin Gaethje. Uh, this is... I'm a lot more confident in Gaethje winning this fight than I thought I would be, actually. Eddie Alvarez is a very, very good fighter. He's a great fighter in a lot of respects. There's a few things, however, that uh, that he doesn't do well. One of them is real-time decision-making in the cage. Eddie's success, despite his decision-making, is a testament to how good he is in other areas of, this, of the fight game. Because if he wasn't that good, the constant bad decisions he makes would have ended his career without it ever reaching the heights that it has. Eddie doesn't like fighting while going backwards. It's not that he can't, but he really doesn't like it. And unless you leave yourself wide open for a counter shot, he's, he struggles. Eddie also struggles with sticking to game plans. I think the best example of him actually sticking to a predetermined game plan as it evolved was his fight with Anthony Pettis. If you look at his, like every other fight he's had, win or lose, he's kind of flying by the seat of his pants. Sometimes that works out for him, sometimes it doesn't. It very clearly didn't when he fought Conor McGregor, and it wasn't working for him before he landed that illegal knee in the uh, Dustin Poirier fight. Of course, Poirier should have had him out earlier, but Poirier's adrenaline dump when going for finishes while standing is a whole other discussion. And then we have Justin Gaethje. (laughs) Justin Gaethje is... It's wonderful to watch him fight because there is no such thing as a boring Justin Gaethje fight. Gaethje is an exceptional wrestler. Uh, he never fights that way, and people forget this, but he was a, I believe he was a Division One All-American. I'd have to double-check. He, he, he was a very decorated amateur wrestler. And he just doesn't fight with that in mind. That's not how he likes to fight. He goes to the body and head and leg. He pushes an insane pace. He's not afraid to get hit. He's got a really good chin thus far. I mean, that's going to catch up to him sooner rather than later with his style of fighting. But until it does, he's going to keep doing what he's doing. Gaethje is deceptively technical. Because if you look at how he pushes in close, if you look at the, you know, the way he moves his head, the defensive choices he makes, such as they are, he suckers a lot of people who think he just gets out there and brawls into trying to brawl with him. And you can't beat him in a brawl because he is a technically superior fighter. If you brawl with him, he's going to find better angles. He's going to find positions for his attacks. He's going to hurt you to the body, to the legs, something. He Brawling with him is a terrible idea. That is not how you're going to beat that guy. Eddie Alvarez will be sucked into a brawl. I think Gaethje is going to push him into that position, and I think Justin Gaethje is going to finish him. I look forward to the amount of blood that's going to be shed and the damage these two will inflict to each other, because I have an appetite for violence. 
But I think Gaethje takes this, and I think he's going to knock Eddie out. Uh, Pat, I'll start with you for this one, because you like violence almost as much as I do. Uh, what do you think about this fight? Uh, just as possibly fun a fight as you will get. Um, these are just two guys who are going to come at you and give everything they have to do whatever they can to win the fight. And how can you not love that happening? So what I'm looking for here is what's the bad decision that Eddie's going to make that costs him this fight? Because that's generally how it works. So, whether it's Gagey lures him into a brawl and Gagey gets him to bite on a certain feint so he can hit him, whether Gagey draws him into thinking that he hurt him so he can hit something else, that's what I think it's going to come down to. I think Gagey is going to trap him at a certain point, and when he does, he's going to unleash something that Eddie isn't prepared for because Eddie thinks he's fighting him on even terms, and it's just not going to be the case. So... What I'm looking at is a really fun fight while it lasts. And Eddie's going to hit him. That's just how it is. Gaethje always gets so, hit. <laughs> yeah, that's just how it is. He's going to get hit. But what's going to happen is he's not going to be hurt as bad as Eddie thinks he is. And Eddie's going to overextend himself thinking he's got the fight in hand, and walk into something that costs him the fight. I, I like Gagey. I like Gagey in the second round by knockout. All right, Jeff, uh, how do you feel about this one? Where, where are you going, going with this? I see it going pretty much the same way. I think I think because just because by the nature of the way Gagey fights, I think Alvarez will have opportunities to do some damage and possibly either hurt Gagey and possibly even win. Um, but I think I think the reason I'm favoring Gagey is because for many ways, Alvarez has fought a lot like Gagey, um, but I think he's been doing it a lot longer. And I, I think Alvarez is not afraid to throw caution into the wind. I think Alvarez does have very good boxing. I think he does uh, – he has shown very good, you know, footwork and movement in the past. But I think uh, Gagey is just going to punish him, and it's going to be a war of attrition uh, that Gagey wins. Now, I remember vividly you know, Gagey's debut against Michael Johnson because not only was it a great fight, but there were so many people who just – that was their first Justin Gagey fight. I mentioned this in the comments in my coverage after that bout. That's not atypical. Like, that's every Justin Gagey fight ever. That's just how that man fights. And I seriously, seriously hope that Gaethje wins, the UFC strips Conor McGregor, and then we get Gaethje versus Tony Ferguson for the belt. Because those two would take years off of each other's life. And I'm a sick human being that way. Uh, All right, kicking off our main card, we have Tisha Torres versus Michelle Watterson. Uh, this is Watterson's first bout since she was head kicked and choked out by Rose Namajunas. And Torres beat Juliana Lima. Boy, Tisha Torres has really underperformed in the UFC. I mean, she's won. She's only lost to Rose. Like, 
And Rose is, you know, the champion for a reason. But, I mean, she fought... She, like, fought she did Blue get Jones. the first finish. She got the first finish of her actual MMA career in her last fight, at least. Yeah, but, like, I'm just looking at her, more her level of competition. Like, you know, you beat Beck Rawlings and Juliana Lima. Like, who cares? I mean... <laughs> To beat the current champion in Paige Van Zandt. Yeah, she did way back in 13. Like, there's a lot that was good about Tisha's game. I just question how much she's actually evolved and whether or not she's really been able to capitalize on a lot of the promise that she had. Well, well, look, again, every single one of her fights up until her last fight went the distance, and then she finished uh, Juliana Lima, which was the first finish of her entire career. I also think both these women are probably more suited for, like, Adam White. It might be a hard cut for Tisha because she's so muscular, but these are both smaller. Michelle definitely is. That's where her, that's where her best – the best run of her career was Adam White stuff, uh, especially through Invicta. Yeah. Um, This should be an interesting fight. I'm not sure how Watterson's going to handle the constant pressure of Torres. I mean, Torres doesn't initiate scrambles and doesn't throw kind of the crazier stuff that, you know, Rose did that really caught her. I mean, some of that was on Michelle not properly defending herself while like staying in a clinch position, but. Uh, I'll go with Torres, but I'm, I'm not sold on that one. Uh, probably Torres via decision, but. Yeah, that's just where I'm going with this one. Uh,. Jeff, your thoughts on this fight, if you have any, because it's it's just kind of there. Uh, Michelle Watterson should win this fight uh, if she doesn't. Something is seriously wrong. I feel like she's better uh, everywhere than Tisha. I, I think she's a better grappler than Tisha. I think she's a better striker. Um, but uh, I think it can be a good fight, but I'm expecting um, the karate hottie to come out on top. And uh, don't disappoint me, Michelle. All right, Pat, Watterson, and Torres. It's a good main card, honestly. I like this. I like it is. This main it's card. a really good main card. Um, I favor I favor Torres. I think her her natural size for this weight is definitely a big advantage in terms of how she fights and how Michelle fights. Um, if I'm Michelle or I'm Michelle's corner, which you know I'm Mike Winklejohn, I'm telling her go out and decisively win the first round and do what you have to do to discourage her from pressuring you. Because I think Torres is going to wear on her as the fight goes on. And this will look somewhat similar, actually, to the fight we saw between Jessica Andrade and Claudia Gadelha. Uh, Despite Claudia being able to do more, the fight was fought in a way that was favorable to Andrade. And I think that's what we're going to see here with Torres and Watterson. I definitely think Michelle can win the fight, um, but I just don't see the odds being that much on her side. I think she's fighting somebody who's fought some of the best girls at this weight who are much naturally bigger, girls who do things similar to Michelle, and she's been able to bowl them and beat them up. And as much as I like Michelle, I don't see her being able to keep Torres off of her. I don't think she has enough tools at her disposal to do it. I don't think she has the strength physically to keep her off. And I don't think for the amount of energy she'd have to expend in order to do it, 
effectively that she can keep it up. I think Torres wears on her and wins a decision. And out of curiosity, looking at the betting odds for this one, this is one of the closer matchups on the card. But as of right now, the line stands. Waterson is a plus 110 underdog. Torres is a minus 150 favorite. That's just probably about right. Do we uh, want just a quick cachet of the other odds on the fight so far? On the main card? Yeah, sure. I'm curious how big an underdog Aldo is. Okay. So, Eddie Alvarez, Justin Gagey. Eddie Alvarez is a plus 165 Ooh. underdog versus Gagey being a minus 215 favorite. So, significant odds in the favor of Gagey, according to the bookies. Henry Cejudo is a large favorite over Sergio Pettis. Cejudo is a minus 230 favorite versus plus 170 for Pettis. In the main event, Max Holloway is a staggeringly large favorite, as we all predicted he should be, at minus 320 versus Aldo, who is at a plus 260. Odds in favor of Holloway. I'm a little surprised at that, but... Uh, all right. As for the prelims, we have Fat Charles Oliveira taking on, by default, I believe, the UFC's second best uh, commentator at this point, Paul Felder. Uh, I mean, look, Felder's done a couple of UFC broadcasts. He was he was quite good. I mean, I joke about the state of UFC's commentary by saying he's the second best behind Dominic Cruz, but there's certainly an argument that can be made that he legitimately is. <laughs> Um, Felder knocked out Stevie Ray with elbows in his most recent appearance, July of this year. He's kept a pretty good pace. He lost to Trinaldo. That was a cut-related stoppage. It was a good fight. It was a really good fight. Uh, Fat Charles Oliveira submitted Will Brooks when he returned to lightweight. I shouldn't call him fat now that he's back at lightweight. Until he misses way to lightweight. Again. No, no, that was Escudero that missed weight. Uh, this has some potential, but I wonder if Felder's going to be ready for the scramble game of Oliveira, because Oliveira's jiu-jitsu credentials, in MMA at least, are are very solid. Um, the other Oliveira, the other cowboy, Alex Oliveira, is fighting Yancey Medeiros. This is just designed to, like, these two guys are going to beat each other up. <laughs> That's all they're going to do. Uh, I Medeiros has hit his seems to have hit his stride recently. Um, especially since he moved up to welterweight, he's undefeated at welterweight thus far. Uh, I think I favor Oliveira though. Uh, Medeiros gets hit a lot, and Alex Oliveira will put a beating on you. Um, David Tamer fights Drakkar close. Let's see, Tamer had that decision over Lando Venata. Um, close. Beat Mark Jacquesi. I'm actually leaning towards close here. I wonder if Tamer's going to be able to deal with his wrestling and grappling. Um, Felice Herrig is fighting Court... Yeah, Felice Herrig is fighting Courtney Casey. I imagine Courtney Casey should win this, because Courtney Casey's actually pretty good. And Felice Herrig is... Eh, just kind of there. Uh, on Fight Pass, we have Abdul Razak Al-Hassan versus Sabah Hamasi. 
Um, jeez. Alassane lost to Omari Akhmedov. And Hamasi lost to Tim Means. I, I'm flipping a coin. I'm going with Hamasi. His last name's easier to spell. Uh, Jeremy Ke- Light heavyweight. Jeremy Kimball is fighting Dominic Reyes. Ooh, yes. Ray- I remember Reyes. I remember him. <laughs> That's so rare I can say that about low-level light heavyweights, but I remember Reyes. Uh, he has just ended all, all of it, like, his last four fights, he has violently finished. Uh, he knocked the stuffing out of Joachim Christensen. Uh, Kimball, I remember Kimball, too, actually. Random people who I do remember now that I think about it. Uh, I really like Dominic Reyes here. Reyes has some sharp hands. And Kimball's kind of there to be hit. At heavyweight, really? We're going heavyweight to light? Ugh. At least there's a light. At least I care about one of the light heavyweights. Um, Justin Willis is fighting Alan Crowder. Uh, these guys are fighting to see who gets the first fair of the evening. Uh, I'll go with Willis. No reason. And kicking everything off, we have Amanda Cooper fighting Angela Magana. Um, Amanda Cooper should probably not be in the UFC. And Angela Magana should probably not still be living. Uh, yeah, the loser has to leave with this fight. I mean, Magana's lost her last four fights in addition to just being a terrible human being. And Cooper is two and one and two in the UFC. Her only win is over Anna Elmos. And really, Anna Elmos should be fighting a weight class lower, but the UFC doesn't have Adam White. Uh, I'll go with Cooper just on the moral principle of I want to see Angela Magana physically injured. That's all I got there. Wouldn't it be great if all of a sudden they pull Amanda Cooper and just be like, oh, we found a replacement, and Sock Pork steps in? (laughs) At strawweight, it wouldn't be sanctioned, but uh, I'm more hoping Nia Jax... They sanctioned this thing versus Gasolum. I'm more hoping that Nia Jax gets uh, signed and makes a run in here. Um, No, I... There'd definitely be a high chance of injury. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, Pat, sure, I'll start with you here. Any other fights you're looking forward to on the prelims? Any burning desires? Um, I'm a big Paul Felder fan. I think even if he's not the best fighter in terms of what he can do and his success levels against certain guys, I like Paul Felder. I think he always comes to fight and provides some entertainment. And I think he's going to put on a good show against Oliveira. I look forward to that fight. Um, Felice Herrig and Courtney Casey is an interesting one. Um, it, Courtney Casey is very uneven in her performances at times. She, you know, when she got Randa Marcos, I was like, oh, wow, I need to pay attention to this girl. And then she went in and fought Claudia and didn't get steamrolled, but she kind of very clearly lost. And then she came back and beat Jessica Aguilar. They had that whole, uh, you know, testing and doping issue with her that kept her out for a while. Um, I, I think she's coming in with something to prove, which is always a really heck of an incentive type thing, but she's fighting a Felice Herrig who I think has looks better than ever out of nowhere. Um, I think Felice has made some really strong improvements to her game that, that we've seen in her last fight prior to this, when she beat Justine Kish, 
she was all over Justine Kish, and we won't talk about what that fight is more notable for. Um, and the fact that Felice's big problem has always been her cardio, but she finished that fight very strong. So I look forward to seeing what we're going to get out of this fight. Um, I, I like it. I think it's well-matched. I, I want to see it. I'm curious if Felice is getting better and maybe she can do something or if Casey is able to finally put it all together in a fight the way she did against Random Marcos. All right, Jeff, any other bouts you're looking forward to on this card? Uh, let's see here. Uh, Charles Oliveira versus Paul Felder is a, is a fun fight. I think Oliveira versus uh, Yancy Medeiros is a fun fight, and uh, Felice Herrick versus Courtney Casey. Looking forward to all those fights. All righty. That's UFC 218. I will have coverage of that on Saturday, and I'm, you know, just the way the sport goes, uh, there's a good chance that the event, that the tough finale will not be good. Um, it will probably also drag as a broadcast because tough finales always do. Uh, I don't know why. They, they sell a them. lot of ad. They sell a lot of ad time for that show. The, not the they, not the TV show itself, but that finale. Yeah, I, I know. Like they they always that one. Again, the two worst paced events I've ever experienced as a fan or or a recap or whatever I you call what I do. One of them was a tough finale, and the other one was Fight Night 121. And <laughs> I was shocked. Like, that, that, that Fight Night 121 thing, just, ugh. But the tough finales are regularly um, poorly pa- paced events. But I have 218 to look forward to after that, so uh, let's all hope that, that, that the main card holds together. And if you have to take something from the main card, take Torres and Watterson. That's there to be sacrificed. Uh, please leave the good stuff alone. Not that I'm not looking forward to that fight, but gun to my head, one fight from the main card goes away. That's the one. Uh, all right. Jeff, uh, what, it's been a couple of weeks, so what major news items came out that you wanted to touch on here? Uh, let me see. I've kind of been a little bit out of the loop just because of um... – the holiday season. Um, oh, well, um, uh, did you guys know they confirmed uh, Cyborg versus Holly Holm for December 30th? So that fight is happening. I saw that. Uh, I have my thoughts on it, but, Pat, I'll, I want to get yours first. So what do you think about Holm and Cyborg getting officially signed? I think it's long overdue. I think it's a great fight on paper. Uh, I think it's a bad fight for Holly. I think Cyborg is going to put on one of the more impressive displays we've seen. I'm not saying it's out of the realm for Holly to win, but to me, in order for that to happen, Holly needs to literally fight a perfect fight against a very good, very dangerous opponent in Cyborg who is able to stand with her. Cyborg can also take the best of what Holly can throw. And I question if Holly can take the best of what Cyborg is going to throw at her. It's a good fight. It's, it makes a lot of sense. And I think ultimately that's going to be one of those fights you look at. And when you're talking about the career of Chris Cyborg and what stands out as maybe her biggest best win, that's probably going to be one that's looked at. Yeah. I love the fight. I hope it holds together. I 
curious to see what Cyborg is going to do when she fights someone who really knows how to strike because she's not fought a lot of very good strikers, and Holly Holm is an excellent striker. I want to know no, how Holly's going to... Her... I was going to say, Go we've ahead. seen her in kickboxing matches not look so hot, like in lion fights. Yeah. Yeah, she can very easily be outstruck technically. I want to know how Holly's going to respond to the clinch game and the potential ground fighting that Cyborg can put on her because... Holly kind of got just outworked on the ground by Misha Tate when they fought. I wonder if she's, you know, made the necessary adjustments to her game and if she can deal with the physical presence of Cyborg. I, there's so much about that fight that I like. I just want it to hold together. Um, all right. Was there anything else? Uh, what else did you have, Jeff? If you have anything else? Uh, yeah. Um, I don't know how real this is, but, um, Joanna Janjacek, um, says her next fight will be for the women's, uh, strawway title. So she, she seems to have in her head that she's fighting, uh, Thug Rose, uh, in an immediate rematch for the belt. Not, uh, the UFC hasn't confirmed anything like that. Not sure that's the best idea just because of the way the fight went. And um, I think you can have fresher matchup at women's, uh, at women's flyweight right now. Um, yeah, I just don't, I don't, uh, excuse me, women's strawweight. We're starting flyweight uh, very soon. So let me see. Um, I would I love know. to I see Andra- I would love to see Rose yeah, fight Jessica Andrade. Yeah. I think yeah. That up. To me, that fight makes more sense right now, but, um, I mean, I mean, you could do that rematch, but I, I just think that sets a, a bad precedent going forward. Um, I would try to book the Andrade fight first, and then uh, go from there. I, I don't think. Plus, with with um, plus now that we have a flyweight division opening up, Joanna has prospects. She could move up and and probably, I think, be very successful at women's flyweight as well. But that's not my decision. Uh, so she's saying her next fight will be for the women's uh, uh, strawweight title. I don't know if that's true. I agree with you about that maybe not being necessary right away. Uh, But the UFC has done weird things with matchmaking very recently. So we'll see. Again, I I like Andrade versus Rose. Um, There's a lot of interesting things that can happen in that fight for me as a fan. Um, do we want to touch on the rumored welterweight title fight between Tyron Woodley and one Nate Diaz? <laughs> I mean, is the UFC going to relent and pay Nate Nathan uh, $50 million? I doubt it. I doubt it, too, because, well, the UFC doesn't pay anyone that much money. But uh, Tyron said he's signed for the fight, and it's a sellable fight. I mean, Nate's not an elite-level welterweight, but uh, you got to sell pay-per-views. So I understand some of the imp- some of the impulse there. Uh, yeah, well, oh, Tyron also that. needs an opponent that's going to make him not look good, uh, or not necessarily not look good, but he needs an opponent who he can do the things he wants to do against. And Nate is not going to stop takedowns and Nate is going to be willing to exchange with him for at least a little while until he gets taken down. Yeah, I, I would favor Woodley heavily in that fight, which is not to say that Nate couldn't win, because 
Nate's never really out of a fight, just the way he fights, but and especially the way Tyron fights. But that I, I know why Tyron wants it. It's the easiest fight he can take that will get him the biggest financial return. I know why he wants it. Yep. And I don't blame him for it. It's not going to um, happen. I seriously doubt it happens. Um, Come on. Come on. Hey, crazier, thing, crazier things. Crazier things. They got their main, they got their main event for that fight card. They're not going to pay Diaz what he wants, okay? Diaz, they're going to – if they – Diaz and Diaz is going to wait for his vanity fight with McGregor until the cows come home. Uh, all right. So Pat apparently Manny Pacquiao wants his retirement boxing bout to be against Conor McGregor. Uh, do yeah. you have any thoughts on that? <laughs> I'm just poking you. Okay. Uh, like, why is this even being discussed? Like, people need to stop. Uh, I agree. All right, Jeff, was there any other major news we wanted to touch on, or are we ready for uh, plugs and uh, close-up shop? Yeah, uh, I don't think there's anything else worth discussing. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for being here. Always appreciated. Jeff, you've... Oh, wait, wait, one thing. I have to get your, comment, okay. get your thoughts on this. Yeah. Both, uh, both of you, Jeff and then Pat. Fabricio Verdum strikes Colby Covington in the face with a boomerang. <laughs> oh, this is great. Go ahead, Just Jeff. any thoughts you might have on that situation and the fact that that is also somehow not the weirdest sentence ever typed or spoken in relationship to the sport. Fire both those schmucks. They're an embarrassment. <laughs> All right. Pat? Oh, Colby Covington is such an idiot. Um... I wish Verdun would have used an anvil instead of a boomerang, but, uh, like, this was, honestly, this was just something so stupid but awesome at the same time. First of all, you never get anyone to hit anyone with a boomerang in real life until now, which is fantastic. Where did he get the boomerang? That's what I want to know. Why They're in Australia, man. No, no, he was, this is legitimate. Fans gave it to him because he was down there doing, you know, because Fabricio's very happy to do media and publicity events for wherever he happens to go. He's kind of famous for it, especially, you know, when you get to the local level. He's very happy to show up and do fan meet and greets and things of that nature. He was in Australia for the main event of that card when he fought Tabora. Some fans gave him a commemorative boomerang, gave him a boomerang just as a goodwill gesture. Verdim should have more composure than that. It's like that thing with Tony Ferguson. It's like he's, he's like, Oh, I'm not homophobic. I'm not racist, and then and then he gets angry and he lets all that crap fly. You know, just like like it's it's like Mel Gibson. He's not ra- he's not racist. He's not he's not anti-Semitic except when you get him drunk. Come on here. You're adults. You're grown think, men. Okay, act like grown men. Yeah, you're fighters, but you're still adults. I think Verdum acted the way a guy who's paid to fight people should. And if he didn't do that and hit him with a boomerang, I would think so much less of him. Because you have a boomerang in hand when someone incites you. When are you ever in the chance of your life going to have the ability to hit someone with a boomerang? Especially someone who's as dislikable as as Colby Covington is. 
You are a cult hero, Fabricio Verdum, for not only hitting a man with a boomerang, but for happening to hit the man who is known as Colby Covington with that boomerang. In my mind, Australia is to us like Texas is to foreigners, where they think everybody walks around with guns. I think in Australia, everybody walks around with boomerangs and Damned if there's not a boomerang duel every 10 minutes. And this just happened to be one that Fabricio Verdum walked out with W on. Suck it, I grew up in Texas. I grew up in Texas, and I've never owned a gun in my life. That's my point. How foreigners perceive, you know, Texas is all still the Wild West. Cowboys running around with guns. We perceive Australia as people <laughs> running around with boomerangs and kangaroos hopping everywhere. All right. Uh, I, I will funny. say this. Uh, I do want to give Verdum credit for taking advantage of the opportunity presented to strike another human being with a boomerang, because I'm going to be honest, if ever presented with that same opportunity, there's a real chance I might take it too, just because how often do you get the chance to do it? Um, All right. On that note, uh, Jeff, you've seen some movies. You've got some reviews up. Uh, What do you want to plug? Uh, I loved uh, Coco. It is one of Pixar's best. Everyone go see it. See it with your family. See it by yourself. What have you. It's a fantastic film. Uh, I loved Coco. Um, Justice League was all right. Uh, You can check out my reviews of that. Uh, Check out my review of Marvel's The Punisher, I guess the first six episodes. Um, Check out uh, my recent interview with uh, Uriah Faber. And uh, I'm, um, I might have an interview coming up with Paige Van Zandt. Uh, we shall see. What? Um, Jeff, <laughs> do me a favor. In the, it's, in, it's in the very early works, so I don't want to – Jeff, do me a favor. <laughs> I will sell my soul. Okay, that's all I'm saying. Uh, we'll leave it there, uh, but Jeff, I beg you keep us posted on this. All right. Yeah, well – I will You've keep, given Pat something to live for for the next seven days. They told me. They told well, me actually, I, yeah. I, I do have a reason to live because I'm going to be meeting Alexa Bliss next Saturday, but there that's another story. I, lo- I, I totally feel you because Alexa Bliss is amazing, and uh, I totally understand your feelings on that. So, yeah, so that, that's what I got going on right now. But check out those reviews. Jeff, let's, just, let's do a virtual fist bump <laughs> on that one. <laughs> virtual. <laughs> do it, yeah. Boom. Kaboom. Coast to coast fist bump right here. The magic of the internet, folks. Love it. All right, Jeff, I'll see you next week. Thank you, guys. All right, Pat, what do you got to plug? Uh, Well, a couple things, surprisingly. (laughs) Um, Jeff mentioned his review of Justice League. Robert Winfrey's part of a show called Damn You Hollywood that picks apart and praises movies alternatively. Uh, based on the views of himself and Mark Radlich. I happened to sit in on a recent episode that, in fact, was a critique of that very Justice League movie. Um, You can hear my thoughts as well as Robert's and Mark's on that episode of Damn You Hollywood. I highly recommend it. Also this past week, I was a guest featured on the Metal Hammer of Doom. Uh, This particular episode featured the debut album from Poison, from 1986, Look What the Cat Dragged In. You can hear myself, Mark Radulich, uh Robert Cooper, and Jesse Starcher talk about the 80s hair metal glory and greatness that is Brett Michaels, Bobby Dahl, Ricky Rocket, and C.C. DeVille, my Brooklyn brother. All right. 
uh, as mentioned, Mark and I, along with Pat, reviewed Justice League. You can find that in the archives here on the Radlich and Broadcasting Network. This Tuesday, I was in a good mood for that review, actually. I wound up getting uh, some training done on Tuesday. Normally, it's Monday and Wednesday. Uh, but this Tuesday, Mark and I will be reviewing Coco. And it is legitimately the last movie that I'm going to be reviewing over the next 12 months that I'm actually looking forward to. Such is my life. <laughs> There's a few movies next year that are that have potential, but in all cases, I am just too leery of studio interference or general incompetence to actually get excited about them. So... Anyway, Mark and I will be reviewing Coco. It's been getting rave reviews. He really enjoyed it. Uh, Jeff enjoyed it. So I might be the only guy. I doubt it. Like I, I, The only Pixar movie I think I've ever had a quasi-negative review of was Cars 3. Because I haven't officially reviewed Cars 2, which is just awful. Uh, this, and coming up on... Not... In a couple of weeks, on December 5th, Mark and I will be reviewing Marvel's The Punisher, uh, the Netflix series, which I have seen. Mark has not. Uh, I loved it, but I love violence <laughs> and good acting. And this movie, ha- that show has both of those, so it was right up my alley. Uh, we'll be back next week for the double review of the tough finale as well as UFC 218. And we will preview, let me make sure the timing on this is correct, it is. We will preview UFC Fight Night 123. Let me have a look at this. I haven't looked at this card yet. The main event is Cub Swanson and Brian Ortega. That's a pretty good fight. I like that fight a lot, actually. Uh, your co-main event isn't bad either. Uh, Jason Knight's fighting Gabriel Benitez. Um, Benitez is kind of there to lose. <laughs> but I'm a I'm a bit of a sucker for Jason Knight. He's uh, again I've I've kind of grown he's kind of grown on me. Uh, the rest of that card, not so much. Prelims. Let's see. That can't be right. Oh. Okay, the bout order for this cannot be right. Let me rephrase. I am I, I know this fight is happening uh, because there was supposed to be a fight between uh, Ronnie Yaya and Aljamain Sterling, which is a good fight. Like, th- there's a lot good in that fight. Uh, Marlon Marais stepped in after Yaya got injured. They just have it listed as being on fight pass. And there's no, there's no way that they're going to leave Marlon Marais and Aljamain Sterling on fight pass. Um, not that I'd complain as someone who pays for fight pass. I'd like more value added to my money, but uh, that's a good fight. So that'll wind up somewhere higher on the card because that's a really good fight. And, oh, Luke Sanders is fighting. Good for him. Uh, Luke Sanders is pretty good. He just lost to Alcantara, but he... Dominate a lot of that fight. He's also Mr. Becky Lynch. He's fighting Andre Sukumtot? Yeah, that's... That's going to be a good night for Luke Sanders. <laughs> um, Yuri Alcantara... This card is built so weird. You've also got um, Alejandro Perez and Yuri Alcantara on Fight Pass. But that's And this is all listed for Fight Pass? 
at the moment. Like again, the bout order will probably change around before next, you know, by next week's show. Yeah, at the moment they're looking right. five bouts on Fight Pass. Like some of this has to be just backwards. So anyway, we'll no more next week when we preview the whole thing. So come back for that, everybody. Uh, that's everything from me. That's all my plugs. Actually, let me double check something very quickly. That I have sucked at this in the past. Yeah, okay, that's it for me. I've just been parts of things that I haven't adequately uh, promoted on this. So that's it for me. Uh, We'll be back next week. Hope you'll all return for that. Until then, thank you again for listening. Please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.